and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And we are in a new year, which is very exciting. We're officially in our second year. That's true. Of, of, um, podcasting. If they're going to put us on IMDb or something, it would have to be 2015 slash or like dash now. It'd just be like, who knows when it will end. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. And this is episode number nine, is it? I think it, might, it might be ten. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but today we are going to be discussing um, two things. First of all, Barbara Pym versus Elizabeth Taylor. And then not Elizabeth Taylor, the film actress, but Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor, the novelist. Um, and secondly, we'll be talking very fittingly for the time of year, New Year's reading resolutions, yes or no. Yes or no. I don't know how, this ha- how quite how it happened because I thought I was going to do that bit, but somehow you did. Oh, sorry. Well no, that's fine. No, please. Um, <laughs> you did it perfectly, <laughs> but I think we're probably, should we do it the other way around though? Should we do should we do the reading resolutions first? Okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Save the author till second. Yes. <laughs> so so twenty sixteen's gone off to a great start, everyone. <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong again, <laughs> but you know we're just so off the cuff. I love it. <laughs> um, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Um, um. Well, first of all, why did you, why did you tell me how your Christmas was? How did oh. you get any good books and stuff? Um, do you know, I didn't actually get that many books because I didn't ask for that many books because I'm trying to read the ones that I've already got. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, because it's getting a bit out of hand really. But, um, I did get some French books because I'm taking advanced French classes at the moment. Ooh. Um, so I got some, um, French children's books. They're not <laughs> that impressive. Um, which are very nice, actually, beautifully illustrated. So I got um, a very simplified version of The Phantom of the Opera. Uh. Yeah, with an audio CD that comes with songs. <laughs> um, it's sounding like an advanced French class. You've got pictures and songs. Lovely. Yeah, it's just wonderful. <laughs> um, and I also got a book, an art book, which I can't remember what it is. So, um, But it was what I wanted. <laughs> Great. Sounds <Yeah>. good. <laughs> um, and no, I didn't get... I dealt three books this year. Not oh. not an impressive haul. I'm I'm guessing that you got many more than that. I did get quite a few this year. Um, my family are sometimes a bit reluctant to buy me things, but this year I gave them my Amazon wish list, so there was no doubt as to what I wanted. Um, the one I'm excited probably most about reading from from those was um, Alberto Manguel's book called Curiosity. Right. Um, have you read any Alberto Manguel? I have not. Oh, he's fabs. So he mostly writes about reading. It seems okay. so. You're obsessed with that at the moment. I'm so obsessed with it, Rachel. It's not even funny. Like, and I didn't even realise how many books about reading there were out there, but I'm <laughs> ploughing through all of them. <laughs> but this is a, so I've read his books. Uh, I think a reader on reading was one of them. Uh, okay. The Library at Night, all about libraries and stuff. Uh-huh. But this one's all about the concept of curiosity. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. And I'm all, I was also in a Virago Modern Classic Secret Santa. Um, was... I saw the pictures of that. It's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it was very impressed because my Santa had to drop out, oh. and so four Santas took her, his slash her was well, going to be her, her place. Um, <laughs> and so maybe five actually, but lots of people, and I still don't know who they are really, sent me lots of books. I ended up with nine Bragos. Exciting! Well, wow, you've got a lot of reading. I have, which um, is a nice segue into um, the sort of resolution that I'd set myself <laughs> which is completely scuffed by this which was <laughs> I was going to try and read books that I'd had for at least 10 years <laughs> <Trying to read laughs> <lots of them. laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> so, Do you think that's going to happen? I'm, I mean, it's the most tenuous resolution in the world because I've not set a limit <laughs> or defined my terms in any way apart from the tenure thing, which again will probably slip to being like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, no, essentially, I'm not sure. I'll get to the end of the year and I'll think, um, you exclusively read books that you bought this year or something, and it all have gone horribly wrong. But there, maybe I thought maybe when I came back to Oxford, that would be what I needed to, like that'd be a, a real new year for me, and I would then actually do something about my resolutions. But I okay, did not. That's but, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> but you still could. I still could. The, the year is young. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, what about you? Do you have any this year? Do you do them in general? I mean, no, I'm not really a big resolution person because I have very weak willpower. So, um, <laughs> nothing really lasts. I get very sort of like, yeah, I'm going to do it in the first days of the new year. And then after about a week, I'm like, no, I can't be bothered. Um, but my resolution this year in general is to be more mindful of how I spend my money. I thought you were going to stop at mindful. I thought it was all about mindfulness <laughs> for a second. <laughs> stuff. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no offense to anyone who's signed up to it, but I'm, I'm not. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I read this really good article online about this person who, um, did loads of traveling because she was really thoughtful about how she spent her money. And so she saved all this money so she could go on these amazing holidays. And I love going on amazing holidays, but I never do it because I never have any money because I spend it all on pointless things. So I've decided I'm not going to buy any books this year unless I desperately need to buy them for learning purposes which is a very wide <laughs> category. Are we including, like, life education? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, just... <laughs> exactly. No, I might need them to educate myself about any number of topics. Um, but basically, I want to think more carefully about what I buy and um, not just buy books and then put them on my shelf and then never look at them again, which is what I do a lot. Well, don't we all? Well, we don't all, but you know, we do. <laughs> so. We do. And I want to be more, um, I want to get through the books on my shelf that I haven't read. And like you, I've got books I've had for 10 years that I've never read and it's ridiculous. So I really want to read them. And that's what I'm going to do. Not buy more books unless I need, to, uh, unless I need them. And the need is defined by me. Um, <laughs> you and, heard this here, everyone. Yeah. You can hold her to it. <laughs> So this is basically another pointless New Year's resolution. Um, <laughs> and read books on my shelf that I have not yet read. And this is actually quite achievable because I only have a small selection of books with me in my flat. The rest are at my mum's house. Uh, yes. Yeah, which makes it feel very manageable because I've probably only got about 20 books that I haven't read on my shelves here. Okay. And that's, you know, I can do that. That's fine. Yeah, easy. Yeah. I mean, you won't, but, but you yeah. could. <laughs> but I could, and that's <laughs> It's always best to set something manageable up from the outset. <laughs> and I, I've tended, when I have done resolutions, to go for things that are quite defined um, and manageable, which is different from this year. So which, the one you were mentioning reminds me of when I did, I think I called it Project 24, because I have to give things a name and a little logo before I'm able to do anything, it seems. <laughs> but um, this is where I only bought 24 books in, in the calendar year, which... Um, which I did do. I only bought 24. Um, I did have quite a few from publishers, but that doesn't count. <laughs> um, and gifts and things. But, um, that, what was hard about that, which maybe even, which I think probably is harder than just going cold turkey completely, is that 
because I knew I still might buy some. I was still going into secondhand bookshops and I and you know still going to bookshops and things. Whereas if I knew I wasn't going to buy any that year, I just have kept away from temptation. Yeah, well, I managed eight. I think about eight months once of not buying any books. Wow. Um, and actually, the longer it went on, the easier it became because I realised how much I didn't need the books. And the thing is, as well, I did keep going in secondhand bookshops just for the thrill of the of the browse. Um, and I realised actually, do you know what? I'm seeing the same books all the time because you know sometimes you look at stuff and you think, oh, I need to buy this because I'll never find it again. Mm-hmm. But actually, you will find it again, and it's fine. Um, and if you're not going to read it for 15 years, then you could <laughs> 15 years to find it again. So it's not a problem. This is so contrary to our buy or borrow podcast, isn't it? When we were just like, <laughs> thrill of the chase, buy everything. And then <laughs> the year has made us wiser. Um, I did, I was at the book barn in, in North Somerset, uh, oh, two days ago. Yeah. No, yesterday, yesterday. Um, and it's, um, it's a barn in, in Somerset where they, uh, all the books are a pound each. Um, they also have a lot in a different warehouse that are all available online. But yeah. the thing I found going around there, I mean, I bought 21 books, but also uh, looking around, I was thinking, I paid more for that book, I paid more for that book, I paid more for that <laughs> book, and I haven't read any of them. I could have waited <laughs> until yeah. I found them here. Um, but, you know, what, what are you going to do? I always, I still maintain that you regret the books you don't buy more than the books you do buy. No, and the thing is, I do believe that, and it's always sod's law that when you see books all the time everywhere and you think, oh, well, I won't bother, and then when you actually need it or want it desperately for some reason, you can't find it anywhere. It's true. And I also find if I've seen a book at the book barn and thought, no, I didn't really fancy that, then whenever I see it after that, I think, well, I can't buy it now because I didn't <laughs> buy it when it was only a pound. <laughs> I, can't, I can't pay four pounds for it. That'd be ridiculous. Uh, um, the other reading project I did that a few other people um, joined in with was my when I did the resolution, uh, A Century of Books. Yeah. That was fun. Um, well, I found it fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else yes, did. <laughs> Claire had to read about it, Vern. Thomas um, at Hogglestock went, went slowly mad, I think. And there's a few other people who did it. Because um, I did it, I was trying to do it within a year of the few other people who were doing it just whenever they could or, or within two years or whatever. I also tried to do it again two years ago. <laughs> um, and I still haven't finished that hundred. So. <laughs> so the first time it went really well. <laughs> I think for me, like I don't like to define myself too much like that because then I think it becomes I feel a bit stressed and also you end up reading books you don't really want to read just to fit into the the years because I know you've had some years where you struggled so um I realize I've not explained what it is for anyone who doesn't know it was what I tried to read a book for every year of the 20th century which is very impressive um you know idea really and finding books from every year must have been a real you know challenge which well, was the whole point, I think. What was nice about it was that for a good sort of, at least sort of eight, nine months, I could just read what I wanted to read anyway, and the years yeah. would slowly fill up. But it was those last few weeks of just opening and shutting every book on my shelf, being like, <laughs> I must have something from 1979 here, or whatever <laughs> that must be. Um, and yes, as, as you as you um, sort of pointed out, it, I did end up reading, I mean, I wouldn't normally read 10 books published in the 80s in a year, or 10 books published in the 90s, because I'm just, it's not a period yeah. I'm particularly interested in. But actually, more difficult was sort of 1900 to the First World War, which I was not expecting to be that difficult. But there, I did end up 
filling in a gap with Beatrix Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's always good for something. She is great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think it's great to do challenges and resolutions like that so that you can widen your reading horizons. Like, for example, when I've had to read for the Booker Prize and things, I wouldn't normally touch those sorts of books with a barge pole. But, you know, when you have to do it for a particular reason, it's you can be surprised by what you like and it broadens what you choose to read next but at the same time it can be frustrating because you think oh I'm, I've just spent three weeks reading mm. a book I didn't really like when I could have read three books I did like so I'm not worrying about any of that sort of thing this year and I'm literally just going to plow through the books that I've I've got on my shelf and if I'd, I've decided if I don't like the book by the by page 50 I'm just going to give it to the charity shop ah. wow no back on the shelf it's the guilt you know yeah my, I find that if I, if I'm doing a challenge which, where it's particular books rather than just, you know, a certain number of books or books published a certain year, that immediately I don't want to read any of them ever. In fact, I did a thing last year where I picked a shelf of my books. I thought, I'm going to read all of these by the end of 2016. And I, so far I've read one. Mm. And it's about 30 on that just because, I don't know, I don't, and this may be a reaction to being um, an English student, as you, but, um, as you may find yourself. Um, or if I'm told what to read, I don't want to read it. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but perhaps everyone's like that. I don't know. Um, no, it's good yeah. to feel that you've made the choice yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Which and is... also, I mean, I do very much believe in there being a right time for a book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is why I don't feel too bad about having books on my shelf for years and years, because I think, well, it just wasn't the right time. Yeah, not yet. Yes, it yeah. was. <laughs> well, I did find the year after I did um, A Century of Books the first time, I did do a little project, which is called, I called, <laughs> gave it a name and a logo, it was called <laughs> Reading Presently, where I tried to read, I think, it was either 25 or 50 books that people had given me, because I was aware of how many books I had as presents that I had yet to read. But, but it wasn't particularly set in stone. And I just found, after a year where I'd had... Um, to fill out fill out my century of books that a year where I could read more or less anything I just panicked I was like I don't know what to read I need better I need more parameters I can't <laughs> cope with it just like free will <laughs> is this the am I discussing the problem of free will is this is this, is this got theological <laughs> this is the deep podcast people <laughs> no, but I suppose it depends what type of personality you have like I don't really like having structure um I like to be quite sort of loose. I don't like to plan things far in advance. I like to just be free to do whatever I feel like at any given moment. I'm a real commitment phobe in life in general. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, I mean, I'm very organised when it comes to work, but when it comes to my personal life... Your boss isn't listening, it's fine. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. um, <laughs> it's a reaction also to the fact that I do have to be very organised at work. In my personal life, I'm like, no, I just don't, I don't want to set myself more targets and things I have to do by a particular time, because that's what every day is like for me. So... Um, I like to just be able to be like, oh, what do I have a little browse on the bookshelf and see what I fancy? And I'm, you know, I'm loving the book I'm reading at the moment, and it's been sitting on my shelf for a good decade, I think. Oh, wow, what's um, that? Well, it's The Weather in the Streets by Rosamund Lane. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, still reading it from last. I was going to say it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I it was interspersed with a couple of others because I had to read a Christmas themed book over Christmas. Of course. Um, so I read The Mystery in White. Um, oh yeah, how was it? Yeah, do you know what? It was all right. I felt the ending ruined it. Did I know. You read it? No, I haven't. Oh well, the ending was a bit silly, but otherwise, I thought it was very good, and I loved the concept. But I did get slightly confused in places. 
Yes, after our discussion last time, where I was like, I'm going to go and do some Christmas reading, then I did not. Okay. <laughs> I did not. Resolutions are pointless because we just <laughs> don't do them. Um, but I, that's why I think leave, leave things flexible. Um, and this book that I've picked up, you know, I've waited 10 years to read it, but it f- perfectly fits my mood at the moment and I'm loving it. It'll go back on my shelf. Maybe I'll read it again one day. Maybe I won't. But, you know, it'll just be there and it'll be fine. <laughs> Whereas, um, you know, books are sometimes that I force myself to read because of that attitude. Like you said, well, someone's told me I have to read this or I force myself to read this. Therefore, I don't like it. And I think that's how I'd feel if I forced myself into reading things. So I'm being flexible this year. But I will. I will get through my unread books. I'm determined. <laughs> there are two uh, books or one author and one book, particular book um, that I... <laughs> Shall I vow to do it? Yeah, I'm vowing to do it. Then read, read them this year. Um, solely because each one of them has a representative of blog reader um, of, of my blog <laughs> where, who has been suggesting um, to varying levels of forcefulness <laughs> um, that I should read them forever, which are, the, I've not read anything by Colette and, and Peter, oh, who, um, who um, appears as Darkness, is very keen that I should try her, um, which I absolutely, absolutely want to, and I've got three or four of her books, so I just haven't read any. Of course um, you have. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course. <laughs> I've had I bought another one yesterday, but it's just, just like, it doesn't propel me to do it. Um, and I will. I just don't know which one yet. Um, and the one that I really should have read because I love this author, um, is Rose McCauley's, um, The Towers of Trebizon. And I love Rose McCauley. I've read maybe six or seven of her books. Um, and I've not read that one, which is arguably her most famous. And Marenia, who, um, doesn't have a blog of herself, but does um, comment on a lot of people. So I think um, has been sort of very, very sweetly and um, kindly, occasionally mentioning, like, read it yet, Simon? Have you read it yet? No, because you really should. And I know that I'll love it because it's Rose McCauley and it's probably her best one. But somehow it's not happened yet. At one point, I own two copies of it, but I still haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> have you read that one? No, I've never. I've got loads of her books on my shelves as well. I've never read any of them. <laughs> so, no, maybe I'll do it with you. Oh, you should. Mm. Um, we should definitely, if, if yes, we should, if you do read her, we should definitely discuss her on this because I think she's perfect for a podcast. Okay, well, nature, we'll hold each other to that then. Yeah, we won't. But we, we should definitely try to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, if, if Marinia, if you're listening, just keep chivying me. It, it does help. It helps remind me. I I don't have a good memory, so I need to be reminded. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in terms of the decision overall, it seems like I can't really cope with either resolutions or not having resolutions. (laughs) (laughs) If I have specific books, I fall apart. If I don't have specific books, I fall apart. (laughs) It's a nightmare for you. I'm better off with a loose resolution. Something without defined limits. Yes, I think that's probably the ideal for me. Perhaps slightly less loose than you, as it were. Sorry. <laughs> Not in that way. <laughs> no aspersions being cast. <laughs> so our teal book's decision there seems to be more or less um, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yes, sitting on the fence. Uh, dear, that's not a very decisive start to the year, is it? No, but I think I feel like I will be decisive in the next one. Okay, you want to kick us off then? Or I should say that... Um, this one was, well, Celine um, emailed and suggested that we talk about um, Barbara Pym. Um, and I was trying to think who would be a good partner for Barbara Pym. Um, and as we will discuss, I don't think Barbara Pym and Elizabeth Taylor are, are identical in any way, but I think they, they make 
for interesting comparison and maybe write about similar sorts of things. But I'll let you kick off the discussion. <laughs> Thanks, Orsley. Um So I have read quite, I've, I think I've read almost all of Elizabeth Taylor's novels. Mm. Um, I know. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've whipped through them. And I have read about four or five, maybe, Barbara Pym's. Um, and I love both of them. But good. for quite different reasons. Um, so I find Elizabeth Taylor much darker than Barbara Pym. I think that she's a really interesting novelist because I don't know if this is true or not because I still haven't read her biography. That's another one that's still in <laughs> several years. It's very good. Um, I'm sure it is. Um, and I don't know whether she this this is her, the reality of her life, but I feel very much when I read her books that she was a little bit of a frustrated um, housewife in some ways and you can feel that there's for me there's a sort of a bitterness about life that runs through her books um maybe unfair I don't know but that's just how I feel when I read them but not in a negative way but it, it brings it's a very like a pain sort of, sort of, yes yeah. there's like a real raw emotion to them and she sort of sees life in quite a bleak but still really powerfully depicted way it's like nothing it's all very um sort of low-key nothing drastic happens to anyone nothing particularly out of the ordinary um but it's you know there's something quite profound about the, so there's some phrases that sometimes I read and I just think oh my goodness you have summed up life right there mm. and it's it really blows me away um and I think Barbara Pym is the same but she is very overtly funny whereas Elizabeth Taylor isn't I don't think there's not there's a sort of bleak humor to Elizabeth Taylor whereas Barbara Pym makes me laugh out loud um and I just love her depictions of people she's so observant about types of people very Jane Austen in in, in that sense um that mm. you read them and you've everybody has has met a person like that person and you just think oh that's hilarious you've got that person spot on um and I just, yeah, I just find Barbara Pym hilarious and so well observed. And I love the little details of life and things that people do that I think, oh, yeah, I do that. Or, um, and I think her depiction of women is, is very, very good. And especially of single women and what it's like to be single with lots of surrounded by people who aren't single and all that sort of thing. I know that experience. <laughs> well. Um, so I, I just, they're, but they do share that sort of acerbic bitterness and everyday quality. But I think there is a a colder side, perhaps, to Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, let, let's talk specifics. So which okay. which Elizabeth Taylors do you particularly like, or do you think particularly exemplify that sort of thing? Um, I think probably my favourite of hers um, was a game of hide and seek. Mm, yes. I don't know why. It just sort of struck something in me. And I think her depictions of relationships are very good. Um, but I also really liked, um, oh gosh, can't think of its name, the one where, um, the first one she wrote, her first book. And Mrs. Slippincotts. Yes. Okay. Oh, and Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont, which is heartbreaking. Yes, yeah. I feel I feel well informed because I've I've read those three. I've only read six of well, I only I've read six of them. This is about there's quite a few I've not read, but um, yes, I um I my favourite I think in fact is that Mrs. Slippincott's, um, which as you say is her first one, mm. um, all about 
uh, a soldier's wife moving into yeah. Mrs. Lippincott's house. Uh, this sort of does she ever appear? I can't remember, but she, she's mostly this absent sort of figure. Yeah. Mrs. Lippincott, isn't she? Or does yeah? Um, see how well I remember it. But I just remember that one being particularly um, observant. It seemed to me about feeling an outsider and feeling um, like you're in the wrong place, like, yeah. and how you how you deal with not feeling at home in your surroundings. Yeah, I think for me, all of her books sort of look at that feeling of being, and this is why I feel that she was sort of writing herself into her books in the sense that she felt, I feel, get the feeling that she felt very much that she was in a life that she shouldn't have had. Um, mm, and I think that's a commonality amongst her books is that she's looking at people's lives who are, have ended up through various means in a position that they never expected or wanted and having to deal with that. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I never quite know how I feel about Elizabeth Taylor, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about her, which is, there are sometimes, um, when I'm reading her, I feel exactly as you talked about that, I'm just like, wow, this writing is so perceptive and, and brilliant. Um, or either just what a sort of throwaway, not throwaway line, but an individual line, or the building up of a really believable or, um, character. But there are other times when I just, I feel like I'm not getting anything paragraph after paragraph. Of this. Like, in fact, well, in fact, a game of hide and seek was interesting because I, the first half of that, I just felt it was going nowhere and I wasn't getting anything from it. And then something changed. I don't know what it was. And the rest of it, I was just like, this writing is amazing. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is so rich and so, um, so maybe it's just being in the right mood for her. You can't, you can't really yeah, skim read as with Taylor. Yeah. You do have to be in the right mood and you have to be able to concentrate because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot that she doesn't say. Mm, you, have mm. to be, you have to pick up on those little hints and things that are hidden beneath the surface. And I think that's probably why um, she's the sort of writer that, I mean, I don't, I'm, personally, I don't understand how she has become quite marginalised in the sense that nobody really has heard of her um, because she's extraordinary. But at the same time, she's extraordinary in a in a kind of, unobtrusive way if you see what i mean mm. um i do remember i went to a day of, of talks about elizabeth taylor um in reading a few years ago that both her children were at as well as well as the um i believe now late elizabeth jane howard um yes. which i i asked a question at the end thing we always talk about her about as being the most neglected great writer or one of the most neglected great writers um, and she seems to have taken up that stance so often that she's almost become unneglected because of it, because she's always on those lists. And mm. <laughs> like all her books are in print, she's doing a yeah. lot better than a lot of people from that period. Um, and even deservedly so, she's very good. But I, I think, I mean, someone like one of my favorites, Ian Delafield, two of her books are in print, um, and lots that I think are very, very good are not. Whereas Elizabeth Taylor is always the one we talk about, um, or people talk about as. Yeah, unjustly on the margins. Well, she's doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. I mean, she is still her entire oeuvre is in print. I think. Um, yeah. Over yeah. but I think. I mean, I love E.M. Delafield as much as you do, I'm sure, but I don't think that she's in the same league stylistically. Yeah, that's true. I think. And I think you know Elizabeth Taylor. If she'd been writing today, I think she'd be on the Booker Prize list, for example. In fact, was with Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont. So, you know, that, that kind of 
you know, I would say she's on a par with like Hilary Mantle and people like that, her writing quality. And I think that she should be, you know, on A level lists. She should be, she should be studied. Um, it's, it's true. And I think there's a definite case that if she'd written about, or if she, if she were a man, or if she'd written about oh, oh. war or whatever, then she would be a lot more famous than she is. Yeah. But she wrote about women living lives like she did, you know, behind yeah. crisis and having. Quite right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think. You know, that's another example of sexism in literature in that, you know, that's deemed uninteresting or unprofound in some way, when actually it's the reality of most people's lives, isn't it? Yeah, and I said, I mean, I, you, you know that we're in agreement on this, but I, I remember, um, I think it was Clive, oh, what's his face? Clive Anderson did an interview with someone talking about Pride and Prejudice, and he was just saying, well, but why would anyone read this? Because it's just about quiet lives. And I was thinking, do people still think that? I mean, who... Who's still of the opinion that writing about quiet lives cannot be great literature? When yeah, and also, what is a quiet life? None of us have quiet lives, really. Well, yes. Yeah. The surface. I mean, no um, one just lies in bed all day. Yes. <laughs> what we could. <laughs> yeah. um, speaking of a not unquiet life, um, that is to say, the first one I read was Angel. Oh, which, yeah. Which I, I love. I think it's quite different from her yes. others. Um, I think that, I think most people would agree with that. Um, for those who've not read it, it's it's sort of a takeoff of Mary Corelli, I think. Um, she, this is it is it late Victorian or maybe, yes. um, yeah, um, it's a pop boy, a novelist who thinks she's a genius, who sells widely because people are laughing at her. But she is this woman, woman who says, well, you see her first when she's a young girl and she gets older and older, and she ha- has absolutely no sense of humour. She's monstrously selfish. Um, she's very successful, it's, and it's just a it's a very it's it is in some ways quite very dark portrait without being a dark book i guess it's not yeah. it's not scary or anything like that but um no it's disturbing i would say yes that's exactly it isn't it and you watch her descent into madness um yeah it's haunting yeah it's yeah. very haunting i was quite i remember i was reading it i oh, know i must have been at university i was on a bus to work i think um and i would, would read it on the bus to and from work and i just remember thinking this book is horrific but like compulsive at the same time and I was quite yeah. surprised because that was the first one of hers I read and then when I read the others I was like oh she you know that really is completely not representative of her usual style so yeah I'm glad I persevered yeah <laughs> um the thing the, the portrait that really um interested me that I haven't read anyone else do well um or even tried to do was um in the soul of kindness mm. I can't remember the character's name. It's Laura. It, well, it's I think it might be her mother. Um, is she the hypochondriac one? There's, some, there's someone in it who's a hypochondriac, <laughs> um, and you you don't see that much from them. But I remember there's someone who go, the character who goes goes through some gardening, so to take their mind off it. Um, and most times you see a hypochondriac in literature, it's someone who's like trying to get attention or it's someone like a figure of fun and it's the only time i've read it as someone who's just really really scared um and even though nothing's wrong with them they can't convince themselves that nothing's wrong with them um and it's just a really sympathetic portrait of what in, is really i think a debilitating condition that is often made fun of in literature mm. so yeah i found that really interesting i don't remember that part yeah isn't that interesting like something that that was like I mean, I love the book in general, but that was the bit that really—it's like, wow, that I've not read anyone who manages to convey it like that. Um, something that must be really difficult. Yeah. 
Um, which, I mean, I guess we're saying that both of them, because we should talk more about Barbara Frame now, mm-hmm. both of them are very observant about the small details of lives. But, yeah. as you say, there's not much humour in Elizabeth Taylor, whereas Barbara Frame often does use it for humorous effect. Mm. Um, having said that, I've, I've only read three. I've read Excellent Women, um, Some Tame Gazelle, and The Sweet Dove Died. Um, the last of which I am, is the one I read most recently, and it's, it definitely still has humour in it, but it's, um, there's things in there that probably Elizabeth Taylor would have turned her, her attention to. Is, have you read that one? No, I haven't. So it's, it's about, um, an, a woman who's aging who, um, has been a great sort of attractive figure to people, um, and is clinging on to that with a younger man who she doesn't want a relationship with, but she wants him to keep admiring her. And then he, he goes and finds a younger woman and she's, she doesn't want to lose his sort of attention, but she also doesn't want a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and there's various other things going on. It's quite a complex weave of nephew and uncle and her and this other woman. It was it all gets quite complex, but it, it's a lot about the sadness of growing old and, and being alone and that sort of thing in there that she handles really sensitively along with it also being a really funny book at times. Yeah. I'll have to read that one. I've read, uh, I've read four. I've read two of the same view and then I can't, no, I just can't remember the names. <laughs> uh, she has terrible titles. I hate them. <laughs> titles. I've read Jane and Prudence and I read something else. I, maybe, um, I think it had three words in it, but I don't have them with me, so I can't check. But I mean, I just think they're all absolutely hilarious. You know, that sort of toe curling pleasure you get when you read Jane Austen. I get mm. that with Barbara Pym. I just sit there and I'm like, this is so funny and I don't know what to do with myself because I'm normally somewhere where I can't laugh. <laughs> well, Some Tang Gazelle I thought was hilarious. I, I can't even That's remember what it's about. Yeah, Some Tang Gazelle. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. And they just get, she just gets people so well at the, um, I remember, is it sometime Gazelle where there's the, the boy who, um, the gay one who decorates his, his flat in a very modernist way? Um, oh gosh, I remember nothing at all about it, but probably. It's, it's yeah. And it's just the way that she describes him and, and the way that he chooses to decorate things. And it's so spot on as to sort of like how you'd see in a magazine or something. I just thought this is hilarious. And, um, sort of the awkward vicar always or like the, yeah. <laughs> there's always the woman at church who um fancies the pants off the vicar but is very shy and retiring and won't ever do anything about it and all these sort of flocking fluttering women all the time and it's just hilarious because we've all met people like that and um I think it's and also what I love is is just how very um droll she is and how it's just like this is happening and this is all very ordinary and it's um, everybody is like, they're, they're, there's actually some real sadness a lot of the time in the, in, in her books, but it's so very British that everyone just gets on with it and <laughs> everything will be, you know, well, there's always a cup of tea and, and, and a nice bunch of daffodils and everything will be fine. And it's about the small pleasures of life. And, you know, I just, it's hard to sort of put into words. I think it's just a really pleasurable reading experience and something that I didn't think I would find outside of Jane Austen, really. And I do very much agree with Philip Larkin when he said that she was the 20th century Jane Austen, because I really think she is. And she is another person who I don't think is read very much. Or, you know, I'd never heard of her before I got into sort of reading Virago and things. Um, And I don't see why she's not on syllabuses and, you know, studied by people and considered as a great example of, of 
20th century literature. I don't get it. And I think she's also been quite badly served by editions, like most of the... Yeah. I think in America there's been some nice editions, um, but here it's just the ones I see tend to be those sort of horrible 1970s Fontana paperbacks. Yeah. Sort of um, I quite like the new Virago ones, but they do make them look like chiclet books. And I think. And with the weird sort of stick figures on yeah, them. Yeah. And I, and I, well, like, even though they look very nice, to, I, I think that so, yeah. the people picking them up aren't going to get the book they expect. Yeah, that it's not. It doesn't look like it's Faulkner or something, yeah. <laughs> which it also isn't. So that's fine. No. <laughs> um, I think interesting what you said about Jane Austen. I think in some ways both these authors uh, inherit or, um, aspects of Jane Austen. Like I can see the the author of Sense Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice becoming Barbara Pym, and the author of Persuasion becoming Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's, there's the because um, in some ways they write, I think they write about very similar yeah. people and very similar situations. Just their tone is completely different. Yes. Or not even completely different, but different emphasis. Where Barbara will put the emphasis on the ridiculousness of life, and yeah. sort of, um, and Elizabeth Taylor will look at a similar situation and say, "This is ridiculous to other people, and thus it's heartbreaking to me." Yeah, I, and I agree with that. And I think the difference between them is that Barbara Pym writes with hope, and I don't think that Elizabeth Taylor does. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've never read a more hopeless book than Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont, and I think oh, that's it's heartbreaking, why, isn't it? It's, yeah. Do you know, it's absolutely scraped my soul out of me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I just, it made me really upset. I remember just crying at it, thinking this is awful and I can't cope. And just, but because it's so real, you know, and you think, whereas Barbara Pym, there's those elements of sadness and you read there's certain characters who you feel really sorry for and think, oh, you know, what a shame. And, but there's still that sort of jovialness and you think, oh, well, it doesn't matter because this and this and, and it'll be fine. And whereas Barbara, um, Elizabeth Taylor, she doesn't pretend that things are going to be fine. And yeah. I I think that maybe that's why she's not as popular as she might be. Because I guess she maybe falls between those stools because Barbara might have that audience of people who, it's like too, I don't know, reading a slightly elevated Mills and Boone or something, where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she's much better than that. But I think there's an audience who would enjoy her for like, oh, this is an, a funny story with a happy ending. Um, as well as an audience would enjoy her for, for rather more than that. But, um, I can't see anyone just thinking, oh, this, look, this is a cheerful read about, you know, a view of the harbour or something where it's <laughs> pretty yeah. miserable. Um, and I think the exception for him that of the ones I've read is, is The Sweet Dove Died. I think that is much less hopeful. So it may be, <laughs> um, might, may put you off the end of her life. I think it might be her final one. I wouldn't swear to it though. Um, it's, which, you know, whatever that, tells you about um Barbara Prim's life. I didn't know I didn't know anything at all about her life actually. No, I don't. Um I don't know if there's been a biography. Is there... No, Rich, no, there is a biography because I've seen it in my local charity shop and haven't bought it. Ah. It's a very you know, the depths of East London to find Barbara Pym's biography. I was like, that is a <laughs> random I should have bought it, but I'm you know, I haven't because I knew I wouldn't read it, so <laughs> um, I've got, yeah, I bought her diaries at one point, but I've, or an edited version of her diaries, but I've not read them, obviously. <laughs> um, oh, <coughs> sorry, I just found it. It says, uh, The Sweet Love Died was published in 1978. Ah. Um, she died in 1980. 1980. So yeah, very near, very near the end, and a few that were published posthumously. Um, 
Yeah. Whereas Some Ten Gazelle is her first one. In fact, there's, yeah, there's nearly 30 years between those books, so understandably things might have changed a bit. Mm. <laughs> but yes, I do, I do have, to, I do take issue with her titles. I think, I mean, who's going to look at a book called The Sweet Dove Died unless they know their Keats very well, or I think you can't remember if it was Keats, but, um. Nobody's Keats. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to look at that and think, oh, I know what that's about. <laughs> Well, we do, Simon, because obviously we're so highbrow. I knew because it told me in the book. I didn't yeah, know otherwise. I have no idea what poem that's from. Uh, it just, I don't know. I thought it was, I, in fact, I had this argument with my book group when we did it there. They said, it's a beautiful title. It says so much. I was like, but it says so much to some people. Let's not be pretentious. <laughs> just give, the, the title should be the main character's name and we should all move on. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll all know where we are. Maybe. Exactly. There's no messing about. <laughs> We should totally talk about titles another time. Yes, oh, that's a good idea, actually. Yes, let's do that. Should write that down. <laughs> I have more sophisticated views than the one I've just given, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think you don't need to be a sophisticated person to have an opinion on literature. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think for me, I'm just trying to think whether I can come to a decision because I think I go to them for different things. Mm. But I think probably, can I do two? Can I do two categories? Oh, please, yes. So I'd say for entertainment purposes, I would go for Barbara Pym. For quality of writing, I would go with Elizabeth Taylor. Boringly, I'm pretty sure that I would agree with you on on those categories. Um, if, I, if I was going to be very cruel and only pick one of them to ever read again, I think it would be Elizabeth Taylor. So I think I, if I was only ever going to read one again, I think I would read Barbara Pym. Just because she makes me laugh so much. Yeah. Cool. Great, there we go. That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yes, do let us know, particularly with Barbara Pym, as we've not read all of them, um, and I've not read all of his let which ones we should be reading, which ones might change our mind, and let us know what you think. Yeah, I'd particularly be interested in... Um, I think there's a couple of ones that were published that that some people have said aren't as good. I think Virago have published some that may... I feel like I've read somewhere that there was one that she didn't want published... Um, oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, I could be completely making this up, but I think it's set in a university or something, and I'd be interested to hear about that one. Oh, yeah. Whose name I do not know. I'm looking at her list, and there's one called An Academic Question, yeah. so there's a strong chance that it's that. Yeah, this is the one, yeah. I was interested in that one, but apparently I, I feel like I read somewhere she didn't want it published. Ooh, intrigue. Mm. Scandal. Mm. <laughs> um. As usual, of course, we have no idea what we're doing next time. But thank you very much, Celine, for getting in touch with with Barbara Pym. And in fact, another couple of authors who will have to... Well, Rachel will have to read one of them. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, that was awful. <laughs> but if anyone has any ideas, we, um, either you can email me, simonthomasoxford at gmail.com or tweet me stuck underscore in a book and we will almost certainly use them. <laughs> yes, because we never have any ideas. <laughs> we need your help, really. <laughs> Um, unless, of course, we've not read those books, in which case we'll have very good reasons for not using them. <laughs> well, that can be our target for the resolution for this year, to read the books that you tell us to. Yeah. <laughs> and then have very deep and meaningful discussions that we've actually planned in advance. Yes, that would be a first. We should yeah. try that sometime in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.